place to be in the arms of our living God. Hallelujah. Oh, I want to see him, key of G. <clears throat> As I journey
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. I'm just thinking, while I'm singing this song, I'm thinking of a phrase that Brother Tom mentioned on Sunday. And he said about looking at the vision and walking into it. I'm seeing myself on the streets of glory and I'm walking into it. Amen. Walking by the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit leading and guiding. Amen. You're walking with me tonight. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you all. Good to see you, each one. and Those that have joined with us streaming, pray God will just bless you richly. Amen. Let's sing that song, Undefiled, Real Pure Lives. Mm, undefiled.
tonight <clears throat> Brother Tom could I ask you to come and pray I feel like I call on you every Wednesday night but there's no one else to call so we're happy to have you come why don't you come and lead us in prayer and God bless you so much Brother Tom remember the needs Amen. If you have a need tonight, Brother John, we've been remembering you. And Sister Bev Charman, Brother John Charman, just came out of a operation, of a heart operation. Came out well, doing fine. Amen. There's many needs. And we've got a God that can meet every need. So why don't we just look to the Lamb of God tonight. That He alone is able to save. He alone is able to deliver. He alone is able to meet every need. As represented here this evening. Our dear, precious, heavenly Father, Lord, we indeed are looking to the Lamb of God. What a day that must have been, Lord, when John on the banks of the Jordan cried out, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. What a day that must have been. At that junction of time, the fulfillment of Scripture was taking place. And we can say today, Lord, Elijah has come. And Lord, he has pointed us once again to the living, resurrected Jesus Christ, the living word. So, Father, that word has declared and is becoming materialized within the hearts and lives of the believers. Where you said, ask anything in my name, believing, and you shall have what you ask. Lord, let that thought be on our lips and let that word on our lips now materialize amongst the saints. Whether it be Sister Beth Charman, Lord, and her condition. Whether it be Brother John and different ones that have needs within their body. Sister Victoria. Whoever it might be, Lord, may the word of life be on our lips. Claiming our healing in the name of Jesus Christ. And Father, we just ask that you take Brother Michael, your servant tonight. As he will minister the words of life. Give him unction. Give him an anointing. Lead him in the word of life to feed the hungry souls tonight. You can take a, a little boy's lunch, Lord, and break it to the thousands. You can take the word of God tucked within Michael's heart. And you could break it to this little church, Lord. Feed our hungry souls, we pray. Bless each one. Meet each need, Lord. And speak to us now from your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Tom. God bless you each and every one. Maybe we can sing, I'm so glad he found me. I believe that's still key of G. Just before we sing that, I just uh, been thinking today on the services that we've been having. You know, it's just an empty church, um, just a few people here running things to put the services online, and yet I've sat here service after service, and I haven't noticed any difference in the manner or method or style of preaching. It's the Holy Ghost ministering 
It's inspired, it's anointed, and it's just wonderful. And I'm trusting that you're feeling that at your home, wherever you gather, to hear the Word of God, to join. Amen. The Holy Ghost doesn't know anything about time and space. He made time and space. That's, you know, where we're living right now. But I'm just so thankful that we have men of God that are faithful, that are at their post of duty, and they're standing with the message, with the message and the messenger of the hour. I'm thankful for that. I'm very thankful for that. Amen. Everybody agree with me? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We have a wonderful word, and we have wonderful ministers preaching the word unto us, and we're just happy for it. Amen. Let's sing it together. Well, I'm so glad he found me. places tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. Maybe we can stand together and we'll just change the order of the service. And I thought of this song while we were in prayer in the minister's study tonight. And I'd like to sing, I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. I feel it's a real fitting song for the time that we're living in. We want to be counted we want to be standing firm and solid on the word of the living God. Amen. Pledge allegiance to the Lamb. My pledge allegiance to the Lamb. 
God bless you. God bless you. I sure pray and believe that you mean that. I pledge allegiance. That is not a weak thing to say. That's something when someone pledges allegiance. Yeah, I pledge allegiance to the flag or to the queen or to my country. That is a that is like an oath someone's taking. They're pledging allegiance. There, it doesn't matter what's ahead of them. There, it, it's it's all in, never wavering, never quitting. At that moment, I pledge my allegiance. It can never falter from there. Amen. So I pray that's exactly the resolve you have tonight. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb, my Lamb of God. Amen. God bless you. Wonderful to be in. In his house again this evening, and we're just going to fellowship a little bit on the word. Thank you, musicians. That'll be all for the beginning of the service here. And we're going to pray the Lord just meets us here, especially tonight. I told the brothers in the back study, I said, well, it might be a 90 and 9 in the fold, and we're going for the 1 tonight. <laughs> so if you're in the sheepfold, and you're all just hunkered down, and you're all bedded down nicely, and you've gone through the door... Amen. You're just going to pull on the word tonight. You're safe in his arms. But maybe there's just one. And he just is lingering out there. And we, we need to draw him. The Lord needs to draw him in. Amen. So we're going to... The Lord said he would leave the 90 and 9 for just the one. Amen. So let's just pray the Lord has his perfect way tonight. You can get your, your Bibles. We're going to turn to Luke 14. A very familiar passage of Scripture. Told my son, it's gotten very, very, very old coming into the sanctuary empty. And it's just so, it was old a long time ago. It was old a long time ago, but we will press on. No matter what the battle, no matter what the trial, no matter what it is. We've pledged allegiance. <laughs> COVID ain't going to waver nobody's allegiance to the Lamb of God. God bless you, buddy John. Good to see you. Amen. All right. We're going to read Luke 14. <clears throat> We're going to start at verse 16. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at the supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. Verse 18, And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. They began to make excuse. I'm just going to stop there. We'll continue the reading. But we'll just pray. And then we'll let you have your seats. Yeah. Heavenly Father, Lord. Lord, one more time we've prayed much these last few days. Not knowing, Lord, what you have in mind. What is in store. But only you alone do. And so, Lord, we as your people. Lord, as your servants standing here, Lord, tonight. Just want to give you our all. And. Yield our every aspect of our being to you, Lord, the people coming, Lord, desiring, Lord, a word from the great shepherd tonight. So, Lord, would you open your word to us, Lord, a parable, as we would say, that you spoke many years ago, but just as real today as it was the moment you spoke those words, Lord, somewhere in Israel. And so, Lord, tonight, would you speak to us and would you, Lord, just bring us just a little bit closer to you, Lord, Find maybe that little lost lamb that's, Lord, needing you tonight, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. All right. So this is, a, like I said, a parable that we've known very well. And, and here the, the great supper, the king, 
Matthew 22 also talk, speaks, uh, Jesus gives this account in Matthew 22. And he speaks of a great supper or, and a great invitation that goes out and bidding many to come. And he says, all things are ready. And Brother Branham says, now God made everything ready. You don't have to wait for a thing. He said, it's all fixed. Heaven's already prepared. He said, your healing's ready. The Jubilee is ready tonight. He says, hallelujah, God's great healing campaign. It's ready for you tonight. He said, Christ has been slain. His blood has been shed. He said, all things are ready right now. Amen. He said, come, come. He's bidding. He's bidding. He said, come. And they were bidding. I was, but Abraham talks about, he talks about Eisenhower. You know, if Eisenhower had, had sent out an invitation and I was thinking, well, you know, there's probably different ones today that we would be compelled here. We have the king of all kings compelling here a parable. And it's I, how ironic it is, is that Jesus Christ himself is giving this parable and saying the a great invitation went out and he's standing there, the king, and an invitation is going out as he was there on, on, on earth at that very moment as these words are being spoken. He's saying, come all. Come for all things are ready. And I thought, you know, how would we respond? I wonder how they all responded there. They probably listened to his words and maybe some didn't really understand what, what the parable meant. And, uh, and, and it maybe went over their heads and, and, and I wonder what hap- what's happening now even as, as the call has gone out through the ages. Come! Come! All things are ready. Jesus Christ bidding, come unto me, all ye that are weary and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come! And he's calling. I, I wonder how many have just ignored the invitation and, and, and passed it aside and how they, how they would, you know, probably not even hitting their radar. I wonder if, if someone, I just, I looked up, I said, who, who are the celebrities now or the, the, you know, the big people today if there was an invitation that went out, you know, someone blasted on and it hit your Instagram uh, account or your Twitter account or your Facebook account and, you know, and some, some, some who knows who, I, I wrote a handful of names down that I'm sure even right at the top of the list is still Justin Bieber, still top of the list, looks like a, I'm sorry, but it looks like a devil in flesh with tattoos everywhere and everything else and 160 plus million people following him on one of his social media accounts. But if he sent an invitation and said, come to my home for a feast, I wonder what the response would be. It would be just like instantaneous. Every seat would be filled. Done. Gone. No more room at the inn because it would be filled. And it went through just different people. Billy Ellish. She sings a song. What she sings, good girls go to hell. That's the title of one of her songs. Good girls go to hell. If any one of our children or anybody would even know that person or even have the two seconds of time to even go beyond what I looked at, you need an encounter with God. Someone is saying good girls go to hell, saying that's Satan himself singing through the flesh. Someone's that has given themselves over to a spirit, a demon spirit, singing songs anointed from the pits of hell. Good girls go to hell. And that's exactly right. Olivia Rodriguez, Ariana Grande, Dwayne, The Rock Johnson gave an invitation. Come to my house tonight. I got a party that's going on. Oh, you'd bet people would be there without a bat of an eye and as fast as they could. But here, the king of kings has sent an invitation out. And it's like, huh? who? Who? How many people don't even know who Jesus Christ is? 
don't even know. And here we drop into the next part of the scripture. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. My, they began to make excuse. Now excuse is to explain a fault or an offense in the hope of being forgiven. Or to try and justify something. And a lot of times then when we make an excuse, we generally blame goes into that. Blame is part of excuses. Many times they're, they're really connected together because in an excuse is blame happening. And so people, you know, they have to declare um, or feel they need to say someone or something is responsible for the fault or the wrong. So in that justification or in that excuse, they, they start passing blame and assigning responsibility for something that happened, maybe an unfortunate situation or some phenomenon or something. And so they, they, the blame is very part of a part of, uh, of, of an excuse. And I'll use those maybe tonight a little bit interchangeably or together and just, you know, pray the Lord just grant you understanding. Now, blame, it's an excellent, excellent defense mechanism, you know, as, as we use it in excuses because it helps preserve your sense of, of self-esteem because you're avoiding actually awareness of maybe a flaw of your own or maybe one of your own failings. And so that's what blame does. It's, it's, that's why it's instantly something goes wrong and, whoa, but it's that, that's the problem right there because we, it's a defense mechanism. And it's, oh, it's just easier, straight up easier to blame someone else than accept the responsibility. It's just uh, human nature there. And so it's, you know, there's more effort involved in accepting, you know, part of it or that you're actually at fault than just, you know, uh, putting the, the blame somewhere else. So, so more efforts involved in accepting the fact that you're actually at fault. And so instead of that, you just blame someone else for it. And so that's, uh, you know, where blame and what blame really is. And so a lot of ways, again, to separate your responsibility from something. So you make an excuse you know, why you don't want to do something. And it's a knee-jerk reaction for humans in, in many ways. You know, we just don't want to do that. We could be, you know, walking down a sidewalk. We might slip or trip, or maybe we're using our phone. And we're walking down the road, and you're using the phone, and uh, and and you know what? You're just you're so glued in that you you walk into the car, and it's like, who parked the car there? It's like, well, <laughs> you're the problem. You got your nose in your phone, and you have no clue where you're going. So it, you know, but instantly, it's this human nature just instantly wants to blame or make an excuse. Well, that's the problem. It wasn't me, right? You know, how many people have been late for work? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> But I can tell you, generally the response is not, you know, it's totally my fault. I, I slept in too late. Generally, that's not the response. It's, it's something else, you know, breakfast spoiled, it burned, I had to clean this up, something didn't happen, my clothes weren't washed, my spouse didn't do it for me, they didn't iron my shirt. It's something. It's somebody else's problem, generally, why you're late for work. And uh, But nobody just wants to admit, you know what, I slept in, got into bed too late, and, and didn't get up to bed or get out of bed earlier. All right, so we're just, we make these excuses. Children, you do a bad test. I can tell you, the first thing you don't say is, you know what, I didn't even study at all. It's the test was too hard, the teacher's too strong, it's a grade level above me, it really is just not my fault. That's probably where it usually goes, it's instant. It's just like immediate for a human to just throw the excuse out. And, uh, you know, even here, we're living in COVID right now. And guess what, they want to so find COVID patient zero because they just want to point, he's the problem. He, he caused this whole world the issue. We gotta find patient zero. You know, because no one wants to, to, to bear the, um, any 
burden or, or you know, responsibility for maybe that they, they spread something or whatever. You know, nobody's, you know, I don't, I don't really have a, I'm not pointing victims, but that's the world is consumed to trying to find that. You know, big uh, groups of people trying to search out patient zero. You know, and so this, this is because we want to cast blame or make excuse for, you know, for a problem. And it eases. Somehow, you know, a lot of times in an excuse, it actually, it eases our conscience, right? It eases our conscience because, you know, it, it helps us dismiss or set aside the fact that we knew we had some responsibility. And so we, we make an excuse, we, we place some blame or over here, and it just, yeah, yeah, see, that's the problem, you know, and, and it, and it kind of eases it. And it, and it pushes that down when really though deep down we know I'm actually, I don't want to own up for maybe something I'm responsible for. One person, he said, he said, excuses are short-term vehicles of happiness. They bring with them immediate satisfaction at the expense of something greater down the line. And so there is a quote on an excuse. Short-term, short-term vehicle of happiness. But, you know, it can delay something that's coming down the pipe that, uh, that you really don't want to deal with. And so here, in, Matt, in Luke 14, we had some excuses being made. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. And I always wonder, what, you know, why were they making excuse? I just pondered that a little bit. I wondered, you know, what is it? They, didn't, they obviously did not even want to come. They all had an excuse immediately of why, why I don't want to be there. Like, you know, an excuse is, is usually is, is there because, you know, a lot of people, hey, do you want to come here? Nah, you know what? Ah, I got, uh, I got, I'm just tied up. You know, they don't generally don't want to, you're not priority, you know, and, and I'm circumstantial, I'm generalizing, but, and a lot of times an excuse is made just because maybe it is not really any really desire to be there anyway. And so they make this, this these excuses of the king. And he says, well, the first one says, I've got, and I've got some cows. I've got some cows, and I must prove them. Some oxen, I must prove them. My, I've got a lot of work. I've got a whole lot of work to do. I got a new job, and I need to. You know, I'm just so I'm just so zoned in and focused on it. I got a difficult schedule. Uh, pray, go to church Wednesday night. Nah, I, I got. I, I'm, I'm really in the zone here. I, you know, COVID's on. I've got, I'm working day and night now. It's the weirdest schedules, I, and I, I got to prove. I got to prove these oxen. I've got so many different cares of my life. That's what his excuse was. I've got these oxen, and I must prove them. I have these these uh, these cares that I must must tend to. And we're talking like oxen back in the day. Like prove your oxen. This wasn't like it was a major excuse. You had four cows or four oxes, and you had to you know these are these are <laughs> to be honest these are also some nobles i'd imagine or something and you know you don't got a servant that can go prove your ox and go put a put a yoke on him it's a weak excuse is what i'm trying to point out it was a weak excuse the one says i bought some land i bought some land leave my possessions i, I bought a little bit of land i got to go seek it out i got to go look at it he, and he says what is his excuse he says i have bought a piece of ground and i must needs go and see it okay well, that means you bought it sight unseen, which is a very irresponsible and unstewardly like thing to do is just go buy a piece of land. You've had to have seen it already. I've got some potential in my land, in my life. I, I, I got to go try and achieve it is maybe what he's saying. I, I, I got something that I, that I, that I need to do. I got some talent 
for some passion for something. I, I need that's more important right now. I, I got to go achieve or, or maybe, uh, you know, see how much further I can, I can, uh, you know, do whether it's my job or maybe it's some sport or something. I got to plan for my future. I, I've, I've got this big investment and I go see it, see what I can do with it. And he, so he gave a, an, another, one person gave another weak excuse to reject the invitation, to reject the bidding. I must needs to go and see my land. And if we go back in those days, I'm trying to just give some simple little parallels very quickly. But, you know, that's what it was said. And they were sitting on a hillside somewhere, maybe or on a shore somewhere. And he's saying, I got to go see my land. I just, that would have sounded so ridiculous as an excuse. And I think that's, I believe Jesus was trying to show this was a pretty petty, petty thing that he was putting out in front. Now, next one. He said, I've married Another said, I bought oxen. The third says, uh, uh, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. You know, this one, some, some might say, well, that seems to be maybe a little bit more of the, of the best of the three excuses. Uh, you know, there's, but I thought about that. I said, you know, if that man had married somebody that was worth her salt, she would have wanted to see the king. She said, the king just called? The king just wanted us to come? Who we're going? No, but instead, that wasn't the case. He used her as an excuse for one. And maybe, maybe because he had no desire to even bring her to the, bring her to the king's court. Maybe the court king wouldn't even approved. Maybe it was some wife from some other kingdom. Maybe it was some, something that was, uh, you know, not, not actually, if you want to get, get what I'm saying, maybe you're marrying somebody that's not in the same line, maybe not believing what he was believing. How can two walk together lest they be agreed? And he's married maybe somebody that he should not have. And here his eyes have been turned. Maybe it's friendship nowadays. Maybe your eyes, his eyes were off the king. Swayed his focus. Maybe, maybe this relationship has swayed his focus. And so the king wasn't important to him anymore. What the king's desire was not important anymore. It was all now this area of his life. And it was an excuse that he made to not heed the bidding that the king had made. And I ask, was that a, were any of those valid excuses? Just give me thumbs up or thumbs down for everybody to say, are those valid excuses? No, exactly. Thank you. And did the king, he said, you know what? That's okay. Uh, I totally get it. I completely understand those excuses. You know, I'll let it go. No, in Matthew 22, he was so wroth. He destroyed them. He was so wroth, he destroyed them. And so I want you to, just as we go through this portion of the evening service tonight, I want you to lay your excuses down maybe that has been holding you back from accepting the invitation that Jesus Christ has sent and given out and ushered out through the, through the word and through the message. I want you to lay it down. I don't care what it is. I want you to, through the course of the night, if some, if you've, if you've been, if something's been there, and I want you to put it, and I want you to imagine a bit of a scale, and I want you to put that on a scale, and I want you to say, where does that, where does my excuse level up? Where is that? And I want you just to do that. I want you, I want you to push back all this that what Satan is going to try and put in your mind, and try and oh no, but it's because of this. Oh no, but, but that blame, blame. This is why you have to do that. No, I want you to push all that aside and try and go back to what you are actually responsible for. And the King has said, "Come, come! I'm inviting you. 
and what is holding you back from that. You know, these were situations that in this in the parable that you know they have they had were a part of. But you know, there's many things I know that many people you're in certain life situations. And maybe your your family life or some sort of uh relationship or something that you've grown up and it's actually not even your fault that you're in a certain circumstance you actually have justification it's you know justifiable blame it's like well because of this this is my circumstances that i'm in and i had nothing to do with this i didn't even make make the decision or make the choice to be here and uh you know maybe some hurt or maybe some issue and i was thinking a few services ago we speak spoke on wounds and and the wounds that have wounded you and he spoke on that but in my mind and i almost i I was just thinking yeah jesus knows you're wounded and you can go back to that service but the wounds still are no excuse the wounds are still no excuse for you to falter for you to step back for you to 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 wane in your faith for you to backslide and get cool nothing nothing that they that any of these these people in this parable gave in his excuse. Nothing that you've gone through in life. No circumstance. No no situation. Somebody hurt me. Somebody wounded me. I'm in a family situation. I can barely even get to church. I can't even squeak. No, nothing. There's not one thing on this planet that is justification to say, and so therefore, I actually can't. I, I, can't, uh, I can't live for Christ. There's not one thing. Not one situation, not one broken heart, not nothing that is, that's going to be said there. And God's going to be like, yeah, you know, because that, I'll let that go. Nothing, nothing will justify an excuse to backslide. Nothing will justify you for your cooling off. Nothing. I don't care COVID. I don't care nothing. Well, I can't go to church. I can't, I can barely, um, get, get time. Work schedule is so weird. Uh, we can't come and sit in the pews. I don't see my friends. I don't have my, my social network at church. I don't care. That is not an excuse for you to cool off in your walk with God. Nothing. I will repeat it over and over, maybe through the service. There's not one thing in this day and age that God is going to be like, yep, it's okay. It's okay that you backslid. It's okay that you stepped away and you, and you cooled down in your walk with me. It's just, it's okay. Never will that happen. Never. And so do not use some situation like to prop up in your mind or put out there and allow the devil to be like, well, because of this, it's, it's okay. And you, and you kind of, yeah, your conscience is soothed. Yeah, I know, because I, 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 I do that. Or because of that situation. No, nothing, nothing will be there and hold candle at the end of time. Woman at the well, she had every excuse in the book, I would think, to say why she's had a rough time. We've spoken to her before. You've heard her spoken on many times. She had a rough life. We've, we've, we've spoke about it. She probably had enough, enough in her, in her, in her life to say, look at all this. Surely this gives me a, you know, a pass. There was no pass. She had a burning desire there when Christ came her way and he said, if you have this water that I give you, Oh, that sparked something in her. And that's, that's the, that's the seed inside that is like, that's what I'm looking for. Regardless of all the situations around me, that's what I need. She was, 
She was responding to the call immediately, regardless of her situations, regardless of her hurts and her pains. Rahab, Brother Branham, I think, talks about her as well and her rough situations of where she went out and why she maybe had to be in the streets, etc. Excuses. But when two messengers came by her way, all her excuses didn't matter. She says, give me a token. And if you, on the internet, Sister Cherry, you did such a phenomenal job as Rahab. I need a true token. Give it to me. That's all she cared about. Not, well, you know, I have a rough life and, you know, I, if I put out there, people are going to persecute me and I don't really put, no, no, there was not, no excuse or anything. She says, give me a true token. And that responded to the messengers of her day. Amen. You know, the Hebrew boys, they were, they were, uh, you know, put, in a situation, foreign land, captured slaves. When in Rome, <laughs> do as the Romans, right? Let's uh, eat like the Babylonians, and we you know we just got to fit in here a little bit. When in Laodicea, kind of got to do it like the Laodiceans, you know, slip fit in and you know do it. No, that was not their focus. They didn't care about the surroundings. They didn't care about what what their, the uh, circumstances around them were. But when it came time to stand, and when the pressure got hot, and when COVID came, and it was said, you got to do this and you got to do that. Oh, oh, well, well, you must succumb to that. Bow. That is not what they did. They did not bow to the issues of their time. They said, my walk is just as strong now as it was when I was in Israel. My stand and my fervency for Jesus, my stand for Jehovah has not faltered, even though I got nobody around me but my two little brothers. And when the fire got hot, they didn't know the fire was going to come seven times hotter. Didn't really matter. They were resolved. Well, you know, what should we, should we, it's just maybe too much. Maybe we should just let her cool down a little bit. And then we can, you know, deal with it afterwards. No, all the way. They pledged allegiance all the way. Didn't matter what, whether it was easy times, medium times, or really difficult times, or you're burning to death times seven times hotter. It was all the way. Amen. Who's there all the way? Say, I don't really care what's going on. I don't really care what's happening around me. I'm going to be like Shadrach. I'm going to be like Meshach. I'm going to be like Abednego. And I'm going all the way, seven times hotter. Because when it got really hot, that's when the Son of God, the fourth man, that we haven't been able to sing that song for a long time, fourth man in the fire, that's when he came on the scene, is when they said, I obey the word of God. I'm standing like like a rock on my on my conviction. And then God honored him and said, I'm beside you. In these hot times. You know. I said well. You know my family is. It's a difficult time. You know it's a little bit cool. You know mom and dad doing this and that. And I don't know where my brothers and sisters are. Whichever. Maybe you got some family situation. I don't know. But I was thinking about Gideon. Because I've just gone through. I have a Thompson chain bible. You know, and so when you look at a verse, it chains you all the way through. So when you're looking at excuses, it weaves you all the way through. I get all excuses right through the Bible. Where did, where did that, where did that apply? Where did that apply? So we just weave the scriptures to him. Boom! Here lands Gideon. Here lands Gideon. If you want to turn, we'll follow. I'm going to be in Judges 6 for a little bit. All right. Gideon. You know, children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Midian was there. 
So it was Israel had sown, and the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth. Till they're coming to Gaza, left no sustenance, neither sheep nor ox nor ass, for they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers. Just to give you an image there, as grasshoppers. They came, which means it just came in and just, just sucked the land dry, pretty much, of all of its sustenance. And just, just nothing left for the, for the little, little guys, you know, these grasshoppers come in and they take over. And this is the scripture saying that as grasshoppers, it's like a plague. For the multitude, for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. So here they are, coming in just like Satan does, trying to come in. They, they hadn't done, Israel hadn't done right in the sight of the Lord. Enemy comes, starts coming in, and he ain't going to stop for nothing. And so he's coming in now and sucking dry the sustenance of the land, just like Satan will try and come in. He give you, a, you, you give him a little crack, he's going to blast the door down, and he's going to take a mile, and he's going to start sucking your spiritual life dry like a horde of grasshoppers. Okay, that's what he's going to do. Why? Because their hearts turned away. And so then Satan finds a way in entering. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And Israel cried. Unto the Lord. So they got to a point. May you get to a point. If your land, your spiritual land, is in this crisis moment, may you get to the point where your heart turns back and you start crying unto the Lord, Lord, I need you now. My life is in ruins. I got grasshoppers all around me. Satan is trying to suck me dry of my life. I need you now. That's what Israel did. They're crying out, Lord, I need you now. And the Lord sent a prophet. Brother Branham says it doesn't even have a name. He said he sent a prophet with his word to them. He said it didn't matter, but it was God's messenger for them at that hour. He sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you out of Egypt. Trying to let them know, I was, I was the true God. I brought you out of, Israel, of Egypt. I, I did these things. I formed you. I brought you forth out of bondage. I delivered you from the Egyptians out of the hand that oppressed you. I drave them out from before you. I was the one who parted the Red Sea. I was the one who brought Jericho's walls down. He's trying to show them, who, what are you serving? I am the true God. I did this for you. And he's saying, I am the one that can take care of this situation. Amen. But he said, and he said unto them, I am the Lord, your God. Fear not of the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. So God's saying, I, this is what I've done for you. But he turned away from me. And here Gideon is. An angel of the Lord appeared unto him. And he said, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Whew. David, you got that slide for me? Our mighty man of valor. He was... No screen? Okay. Mighty man of valor. Where was Gideon? Gideon, this are examples of a wine press. Okay? On your left side, if you're looking at this screen. The other side, this big open area, is a threshing floor. Okay? So Gideon, the mighty man of valor that the, the Lord has just told him who he is, is in a little hole somewhere. These are just examples of a wine press threshing wheat. Now, threshing wheat was something to be done wide open spaces so everybody can see and you're throwing the wheat in the air and the chaff is going in the air and it comes back down and it, it, it needs space. Yeah. It needs space. But Gideon is not. This mighty man of valor 
is in a teeny little hole, something like this, trying to get threshed wheat. Very, very difficultly, I'm sure, in these the constraints of it. Why? Because he's scared. He's scared of the Midianites. They're everywhere. And if they see him threshing wheat, they're going to come and take it like a grasshopper. So he's here in a, in, a, in a wine press. He should have been on a threshing floor. Just to give you an idea when you hear that and you read that in Scripture, all right? Because that's what it says. And there came an angel of the Lord unto, uh, under an oak tree. It was an Oprah that pertained to Joash, the Abrazite, and the son of Gideon, threshed wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And so he's hiding, scared. <laughs> I got to do this. Got a lot of excuses why he should be. And now he's a mighty man of valor. God sees way beyond your little circumstances and he sees right into the heart. He knew there was a lot more there in Gideon than just maybe the outside circumstances there. Now Gideon, something was in his heart. Gideon, he might have been threshing there. He said, oh, I just got to eat my, get some food up for my family. And he's trying to, trying to do this. But I know in his heart, he said, Lord, I know he's a real God. You're the God of Moses. You're, you're the God that delivered us out of Egypt. He knows that because his question, when the Lord says, you mighty man of valor. And the scripture says, and, and he said, oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is this all befallen us? And where be all his miracles? He knew there was a real God. He knew there's a God that could deliver because he believed the word that was, had gone before him. And Brother Bram says, where are these things? He says, in other words, I'm a man, maybe 50, he said. And I heard them talk about a God that worked miracles. And I went to a church. I believed the priests. And I believed the prophets. I believed the written word and the scrolls. And I read in the scrolls where God, when he come along his people, something takes place. Amen. Gideon didn't know, but that man sitting there under this oak tree, amen, was, gee, was the Lord. That's what it says in the scripture. And the Lord looked upon him. And he said, go in this thy might. And thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Thou mighty man of valor, go in this thy might. Have not I sent thee? And here's... I'm sure... I, well, we know. Because the next verse, I'm going to read it. Mighty man of valor... He knows he's in this little wine press. He's trying to hide. He's, he's probably he's trying to figure, a uh, man of valor, mighty man, because then he says unto him, oh, um, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor. I got zero stature here. I don't have any money to fund an army. I got, I got nothing. I'm poor. I have no sustenance other than this teeny little bit of wheat or whatever I'm trying to thresh in a little hole somewhere where I should be doing wine. And... He says, I am the least. I am the smallest. I am nothing in my father's house. But God has just said, no, you're a mighty man of valor. And you're now going to save the, uh, save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Here's his, he's, using, he's giving excuses right into God's face. Saying, no, 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 you got, you got it wrong. I'm poor. I, I got, I'm the least. I, 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 can't, I can't do this. No, no. And you know, the Lord didn't say, oops. <laughs> Right, wrong guy, 
Wrong area. I'm going to move on because somehow I made a mistake. Uh, you're, you're, you're clearly not the right one. You're, you're hiding. No, that wasn't the case. He knew exactly who Gideon was. He knew exactly what he placed in him. The excuses that maybe he had in the front of his, of his mind, little circumstantial things. But deep down, Gideon was indeed a mighty man of valor. And I don't really care where you might be and you might be threshing your little wheat somewhere, barely squeaking out some spiritual existence in your little world. But you are a mighty man or a mighty woman of valor. And God sees a knock on your door and say, no, you're going to be delivered from the hand of the Midianites. You need to step up and accept my word because I'm telling you, you are mighty and you will deliver. I will deliver you by your hand out of the Midianites. God didn't say oops to him and he's not saying oops to you. Oh yeah, you're, you know, you know, you're right. You're right. You're, I picked the wrong one. No, you're going to conquer Laodicea. He said, you're going to stand dominant in this age. You're going to stand on my word. You have the faith in you to defeat the enemy anytime, anywhere, any place. That's in you. And I'm telling you, you are mighty in Laodicea. Accept God at his word. Don't give some lame excuse that Satan put into your mind. Well, look at what your situation is. How do you do that? You're just, you're low. You're, you're like, you're, you're way down there on the scale of, of families and, and this and that. And that's what, that's what Gideon said. My family's low. You know, he wasn't low in God's mind. God came to him. He didn't come to some other family. He came to Gideon in a little wine press, in his little hovel, somewhere threshing wheat, and said, mighty man of valor, you're going to go and conquer. And you know who came behind him? We'll skip way ahead, just as my mind is going there, because what it's, how many boys have been, have been a child and said, put their, pull their sword out when they're a kid, and said, of the sword and the Lord and of Gideon. Ha <laughs> ha, who's done that? Me, I have. Amen, as a little kid. Because as Gideon's sword, you knew he had a mighty hand. But you remember, he was in the wine press, scared stiff at one point. And that's the transformation that God can do in your life. Amen, when you just believe on his word. Where be God in all his miracles? Gideon, you know, recognize that he was the miracle. He was the miracle transformation. That God was saying, no, no, I'm taking you from here. And you're going to become the miracle. The miracle that took place in him. But he had to believe what the word said he was. But Abraham says now they had to believe. They had to believe the prophet's word and obey it before they could see God's miracles. And today you can't go here under false makeup and saying, well, Jesus is not the same yesterday, today, and forever. The days of miracles have passed. That doesn't really happen here anymore. No such thing as baptism of the Holy Ghost. I don't, I don't see the Lord dropping like fire and, and, and tongues of fire. It's just not true. He says, no, you've got to obey it. And when you obey it, God takes care of the rest. That's first. Don't be some skeptic. Well, I don't know. No, no, no. God's saying, you obey my word first. And then I'll come behind it. Gideon had to obey God's word and step into that. Step into the vision that God had. He said, you're a mighty man of valor. He had to accept that and obey that and walk in that. And then the manifestation of it came down the road. Israel had to obey Jericho. They had to walk around the walls. God said, I'll take care of it. But you go march. They had to march. They had, they had obeyed that first. Israel, it did, Jericho didn't crumble immediately. They marched day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. And then seven times. They had, they had to do that obeying first. Noah had to obey. He had to obey God. Piece of wood by piece of wood. And then the flood came. Then the miracle. Miracle rain? Who knows about rain? No, God, Noah had to obey first. So you act on his word and you'll see a real miracle. Something will start to take place when you act upon it. And Gideon cast his fear down. He cast all of the excuses down, anything that he had. And he cast that down, Midian or not. And God, because God said, you're going to take care of the Midianites. 
Lord Abraham says, throw, talking about Moses, he says, throw down your stick. Throw down your staff. He said, other words, he says, get rid of everything that's around you. Amen, he says. Let, God's saying, let me have it. He's saying, oh, I got an awful temper. Give it to God. He says, oh, he knows how to quiet down. He's like, oh, I got a whole lot of lust. He says, he knows how to take that away. Just put it in his hands and watch what a miracle can do. Just give it to him. Throw your excuses or some crutch or whatever down. Give it to him and he'll take care of it. Amen. Obedience comes before the miracles. Thank you, David. You can take that down. Everyone says, well, where's all these miracles? We give a thousand dollars to anybody that will permit, uh, permit, will produce, uh, anybody that will permit, will produce a miracle. You, he says, someone said, I'll give you, you know, give a thousand to anybody who will permit and will and do a miracle. Potter Bram says, you poor, deliberated, backslidden, twice dead, plucked it by the roots. He says, how are you ever going to see a miracle until you become one? I love it. A miracle of God's grace to take an unbelieving doubter and fill him with the Holy Ghost. If you want to see a miracle, he says, become a miracle. Amen. That's where the miracle for that's what Gideon become. He become the miracle. And God said, rise up, mighty man of valor. There was the miracle. And he says, where are we all the miracles? He just had to look right at Adam. I'm starting to obey the word. Oh, look at this. I'm the miracle. All my fear and all, all of my unbelief or my excuses of whatever it was for here. But now he was taking his sword and leading a charge. Amen. And that's exactly for you. Don't give a bunch of excuses. You become the miracle by acting on God's word in your situation. The same power that saves you, heals you, delivers you, comforts you. It's the same one. Same one. He says, and you know, down in your heart, that a supernatural work has been done when Jesus Christ enters, <laughs> enters your body and you become a living oracle of Jesus Christ. You entomb the Holy Ghost inside of you and you're walking like Gideon did now on his word. He says, and you know then, down in your heart, that a supernatural work has been done by a supernatural being. When you once drank, you smoked, you lied, and you women loved the world so much you kept wearing makeup and your long or short hair, he says, and doing other things you did and find out something happens that all the devils in hell couldn't make you do it again. Something happened. He says that the God who performed miracles performed one in you. What did he do? He changed your vile heart, changed your desires, changed your nature. A supernatural word by a supernatural God made a creature of time to a creature of eternity. That's a miracle. I don't, you couldn't get no bigger miracle than that. You say, well, I need to see some, some, uh, some other, you know, miracles. No, no, I have, I have it for you here. Jesus said, you think one, I said, you think one's easier than the other. He said to the Pharisees, when they saw their faith, he said unto the, the man with the palsy, he says, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. The scribe says, oh, who can forgive sins but God alone? And he perceived their thoughts. Jesus, he says, what reason ye in your hearts? He says, whether it's easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee or rise up and walk. Saying, so which one's greater? Which one's more difficult? And he says, just to show you that you know that I, that the son of man hath power on earth to forgive sins, rise up and walk. He says unto the sick man with the palsy, I say, arise, take up thy couch and go to thine house. Amen. Which one was more greater? He says, I got both done for you. Now see who I am. I am the son of God. He proved who he was there. And so you want to tell me which one is greater? Jesus said the saving of a soul, the forgiveness of sins, the supernatural transformation of someone's life becoming completely and wholly sold out to God. That's the miracle that God will do. That's the greater miracle. 
take the world out of you, put Christ in you, the hope of glory, and you're filled with the Spirit and ready to meet Him. Amen. Gideon says, oh, we'll go back a little bit. He says, my, can I get a sign? And God says, uh-huh. He went and got an offering, put a little rock, took a staff. Fire consumed it. That's exactly what Gideon needed. Because that's the same sign of the God of Elijah on Mount Carmel came and consumed the sacrifice. And Gideon knew right then, this is God. This is God. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to put all of my concerns and my worries and my excuses and everything else. And I'm following this one because he is the Lord God. Because he produced a sign that Gideon knew was the word. You can turn me down a little bit, but I said, Lord, we received the same thing. He said, oh, how do I know? How do I know the word of God? How does it true in my age, day and age? No, no, God. He sent a sign. He sent a prophet with a message and he showed he's the same one. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he showed it time and time and time again, giving us no excuse to know this is the message of this hour. He said to Gideon, you shall not die. Go in peace. You shall not die. My, what a comfort. He says, you're going to take, you're going to take on the Midianites. You're going to, you're going to lay waste. You're going to return. You're going to take back what is yours, you and Israel. And I'm just going to give you this little comfort. You're not going to die. Just go in peace. Oh my goodness. I'm going to give you the same comfort tonight. You will not die. You might go down in a, in a grave, but you might just sleep, but you will rise again. When you have Jesus Christ inside, you have nothing to fear, little bride. Whether you will rise up when, when the time comes, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall rise, and those which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. You will not die. Amen. You have the same thing because it's Jehovah Shalom is what he put. It, gave a, an offering and a peace offering. And he says, Jehovah Shalom. He is my peace. That's where that is from. You anchor that. He says, I have the same promise as Gideon. Amen. He's my Jehovah Shalom. I shall not die. You know, but there's some work to be done. And Gideon couldn't dilly-dally around. Because that same night, and it says, the same night, the Lord said unto him, take thy father's bullock and the second bullock that's seven years old. And he told him he needed to do some business because his family, his father's family, was not in order. And so here now, he had to actually do something. He had to do something. He had to start taking back. He said, I had to start saying, okay, we're not, we're not all right here. God's wanted to do a mighty work and something caught fire in him. He says, he's a God of miracles. He's alive right now today. But God's saying, you got to clean up here. You're going you're gonna to do a little bit. And so you're going to go down and you're going to tear down the idols. You're going to tear down the groves. You're going to go down there with the bullock and you're going to take the bullock of seven years. To have a bullock of seven years old that's still in their possession, this fellow was hidden for a very long time because he had been snatched very quickly by the Midianites. Seven years. Okay, he's, he's got to have been hidden somewhere or he wouldn't have survived. So this was a precious bullock. It doesn't really matter what it is. How something that you've held is so precious, some, some circumstance or some passion or some idol in your life. God is saying, take it all. 
And he took his men and servants. Yeah, he had some servants. And he took them in the night. He was, he, he was being a little, a little cautious. He go, took them in the night. Took them all down and tore down the groves and the idols. And he took the bullock. The groves is actually cut them down. That would have been like trees and, and, and like a, uh, an area they would have, um, you know, worshipped their idols in and, and such. If you look into it, it's, it's like they would have been very precious. Uh, groves, because these are areas that they would worship their God, and he cut them down, and then used that uh, for the for the for the fire for the for the sacrifice, and took that seven seven year old bullock and sacrificed him unto the Lord. Gideon went in there with some fire. Gideon went in there with some fire. Gideon said, "Well, <laughs> it's not my business and my family. It's my father. You know, he's he's got his own. No, 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 no." You, young men and young women, I don't really know what, whatever is going on in your family. Don't you dare be afraid to stand up and say, whoa, this house is not in order. And if we want God to move, we're going to have to clean house and bring it up to speed. And God wants this all cleaned out. You don't, you, what you're listening to, what music or what movies or what books or whatever, and you're consumed in romance. Or I don't care what it is. Gideon had to go through there and wipe it down. The most precious things of his father. He had to take this precious bullock and sacrifice it unto the Lord. You will be blessed. The Midianites were conquered once he did that. That was the first thing he had to do was get it wiped out. And it was no excuse of whose it was. Well, my, my, my father, you know, did this. No, no, no. No, Gideon, you deal with it. You go in and you do it. God's speaking to you. You stand up just like a Gideon. I said, parents don't even give. We shouldn't be giving our kids even a reason or a need for them to be just standing up. You be the Gideon in your household and, and wipe it all down. You see in someone's lack of resolve waning in your house. It is no excuse. It was no excuse for Gideon. Good and you can say, well, it's not my, not my duty. It's not my issue. And, and because my family's cold, I'm cold too. No. No, there is no excuse. Gideon stood on the word of God and Gideon had a resolve, set all that aside and had a walk with God. And the other other side of it is, parents, if your kids are on this, just having a tough time, and God needs to meet their heart, don't you dare falter or waver or back up or or cool down or whatever. You continue to be a guiding lamp. You continue to be a stronghold of your house for the word of God. You continue to have your resolve so they can look back and say, no, I might have gone through a tough time, but there was never a faltering in my home. I could always look at my daddy and he was still strong in the word. I could look at my mama and she was still had faith and she still, they still prayed and they still held the, held the token over the house. No matter if your kids slid, backslide, whatever it is, cool down, go away, come back. You continue to be a shining light for them. Don't ever let that be an excuse. Well, my kids, and then you falter down. Never, never falter down. Never back up. Never. There is no excuse valid ever for you to do that. Amen. Lord, help us. You sang the song at the beginning. I pray that that just anchors as a resolve. 
There ain't nothing here. There ain't no situation. There is nothing. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. May that be a whole lot realer to you tonight. Are you saying, no, I'm not putting blame on anything. I'm not making an excuse. I'm going to stand firm in this day right to the end. I'm going to be a Gideon and take a resolve. I'm going to cut down if there's any groves, if there's any Baal or whoever that's, that's rose up in our home as an idol that's before the Lord, you cut it down. It might, and it might hurt because they came to take, they came, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill. Who did this? Oh, it was Gideon. Gideon, the son of Joash. Okay. We were going to kill him. This is how it was. They were that mad. And the men of the city said unto Joash, bring out thy son that he may die because he hath cast down the altar of Baal and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. Bring him up here and we're going to die. I pray if someone stands up in a home and says, dad, this has got to change. Our home is not in order. We need a fervent, more fervent walk with God. We need more prayer in our home. We need to get this out of our home. There's too many of this entertainment in our home. There's too much of this in our home. And if someone's son or daughter or whoever in a home stood up, I pray that you would be like a Joash or a mom would be like a Joash. And he would say this. And he said, Joash said unto all that stood by him, you're going to plead for Baal? He didn't stand on their side and be like, yeah, let's go get him. He's going down and ruined everything. Uh, this is my passion. I love doing this. I love watching movies all the time. I mean, I don't know. No, no, he didn't do that. He said, will you save him? Will you save Baal? He said, will you plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death. Whilst, whilst it is yet morning. He recognized, yeah, you're right, Gideon. We were off the word. We weren't where we should be. Let's just Get us out of here and let's do this. And, if, and his response, I believe, was honored by God. Because that is the correct response. Not, not, the, not the others. Kill him. He just ruined our whole life. He just exposed us. <laughs> no, George said, you're going to plead for Baal? Come on, he's a mighty God. No. If he is, let him do his work. Of course not. Because it was just an idol. And George said, he who pleads for him, let him be put to death. May you be, if that is somehow in your position, may you be like a Joash. They say, Lord, I'm exposed. I've had an idol in my life. But Gideon, may I, may I pull my sword like Gideon and be a mighty man of valor in this day and age. Cut it back. Scripture says, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Moses, he blamed his inadequacies of his speech. Excuses. We're just talking excuses. Gideon had excuses. Moses, he has excuses. A lot of excuses. God says, no, no, no. I've chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I've chosen the weak things of the world to confound them that are mighty. So you think you're weak? You think you're low? You think you're, you're inadequate? Mm, that's God's way. He put you in scripture. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Amen. He do it. God chooses the weak so that he can show his power through a surrendered life. That's exactly what he wants. He said, well, I'm not spiritual enough. Who, who, who's setting the level of spirituality? Is that just some excuse on your mind? No, no, no. God, God came to the humble, the poor, and the wretched. That's a good place to be. The thing that I'm, you know, no. You be humble. You think you're poor in spirit? That's what God came. God forgot the Pharisees who thought they were wise and, and high and, and in, their, in, their, in their religion. No, no. God didn't come to that. He came to the humble and to the meek and to the wretches and the poor. He said, well, I can't live it. <clears throat> nope, you can't. But you can with him. You can with him. 
Problem is, you maybe just haven't surrendered, and you've held on to maybe, maybe it's a little idle, maybe it's a growth, but you need to fully surrender, and then he can do it through you. So, well, it's too early. I've got a life to live, a life before me. And then you go through that, and then the devil's like, no, I'm too far gone. Say, God doesn't even want me. Satan plays on you on both sides. You're too early, so you can't forget God. Now you go, now you go far, and then it's too, it's just the devil. Is the devil. He's going to hit you on the other side. You need to recognize it's just an excuse. Because you know you need God. And it's just an excuse that he's putting. It's just like, I have cows. I need to prove them. I have some land. I need to go look at it. That's all it is. You've put your excuse on the scale. I don't think I've ever heard a Christian. Someone else in here can tell me. Have you ever heard a Christian say, yeah, you know what? I should have delayed longer. Anybody heard that before? No? You ever heard someone who's on fire for God? God filled them with the Holy Ghost and they are just consumed with Jesus and they all want to be an ambassador for Him. They're a steward of His grace as we spoke on and they're just walking a victorious life. Have you ever heard someone like that say, you know what? It's just, I should have delayed longer. Never! Never let Satan tell you it's too early. You need to, you need to have some fun first. Because then he's going to play on you and be like, yeah, you're too far gone. <laughs> have fun, bud. You you missed it. He'll play on you on both. There are two rotten excuses that he's planting and trying to blame those situations. You need to see what they are. See through it. Say, that's just a devil hindering me from a victorious walk with God. And it's a barrier. And you're living miserable because of it. Because you tried to maybe give some excuse, shift the blame out there. Tried to justify your reason or faltering or backsliding, whatever, just to ease your conscience. It's just an excuse. And if I want you to put it on the scale, I would say, as scripture, your excuse has been weighed in the balance and has been found wanting. That's where your excuse is. And I want you to keep that in your heart. Like I said, it might be for one. I stood on a pulpit several years ago and I had a man of God speak some very specific words to me. And I said, I don't have anything to say. I got nothing to say. He says, he'll put the words in your mouth. I said, I said, I can't do this. But then I said, for one. I said, I'll do this just for one. I don't care if it's one 10 years from now. I don't care if the one has already been found. I don't know. But Lord, my focus, I'll go for one. So if the 99 are in that little sheepfold, I'm calling for one. I'm saying, your excuse, your excuse has been weighed in this balance and it is found wanting. And God is saying, come, come unto me. You're heavy laden. Satan's pouring it on. Forget the excuses. There's no excuse valid. Come unto me. I will release you of your burden. I will release you of your sin. And eternity is in the future for you. If you just come and accept the bidding of my invitation. I'm going to just go a little quicker now. You know, the rest of this parable of Matthew 22, there, there's uh, different accounts of the same parable. And it goes to the end. And uh, and the robes are sent out. Scripture says, go therefore on the highways and the byways. They, they, they dismissed it. They excused it. They, they had some issues. Uh, things that, better they had, that they had, they found better than to come to this great feast, this great invitation. And so... King said, go in the highways and the byways and compel them to come. And I'm compelling. God is compelling. 
They, they rejected the invitation. Hey, come. God's saying, come unto me. He's now compelling from the highways and the byways and the lowly and the wretched and the weak. He's saying, come. Come unto me. Come to my feast. And he says, and the king now, he's going through. His guests are here. And he said unto him, friend, how comest thou hither not having a wedding garment? Here's a person who came to the feast. He heard the call. He was intrigued. Maybe he had a desire of some sort. You know, hey, well, there's a feast. And he came. But for some reason, some reason, some excuse that he made up in his mind. I, I couldn't even contrive one. He felt he didn't need to come by the way. To come by God's provided way. He felt, you know what, I'm good enough. What I'm in is good enough. I think we did a skit on it, and I think the, whoever was acting said, he called me in this, and so I should be just fine to be there in my same wedding, in my same clothes. If I was good enough to be called with this clothing on, I'm good enough to be at his feast with this clothing on. You know, I don't know. He, he, he's something in his mind, some excuse he felt was valid that he did not come by the way. He didn't have to come. And I, God forbid that something in your mind says, you know, I don't need to, I need to come. You know, I'm a good person. I don't need to be baptized. Why, you know, why should I wear long hair? I, you know, I fit in here pretty well. I'm a good person. You know, why do I need to change my robes? Why do I need to adjust, you know, who I am a little bit? No, no, no. No, no. I'm going to read to you the next bit of scripture. I'm going to read you a quote first. Butter Branham says, the only, they only had one way. He said, no, not 960 different ways, but Jesus. He said, I am that way. The king's son, the bridegroom, stood there at the door, received the invitation. Each one of them come with an invitation. The bridegroom received the invitation the father had given. He said he had handed out the bridegroom. The bridegroom in return put a robe on. He's just explaining kind of how this worked on the east. Oh, my. He put a robe on everyone that's good, bad, rich, poor, whichever. He said, now this robe is none other than the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He says, that's the robe. And so just giving you, just so you're very clear, that's the robe you need for this great invitation for this great banquet, for this great feast. And there is no excuse because what happened, what happened was, the scripture says, and he was speechless. At that moment, there was no valid excuse. And he stood there and said, friend, why comest thou thither not having a wedding garment? And everything that maybe he brought up in his mind through his life, why he could be the way he was, why he could live the way he did, what he, why he could do the way he did, he justified it. And he said, well, because of this circumstance, because of that, this is the way I am. And then all of that came to play. He said, wait a second. You're going to stand before God at one point and say, well, friend, why didn't you come by, the, by, by me? Why didn't you come through the way? Why didn't you come through Jesus Christ? I, I bid, I called, and even if you came, I would have put a robe on you. If you came the right Way, God's provided way. And he stood there and scripture says he was speechless. He said, Lord, do not be there at that moment where you are speechless. Now I'm going to turn a little bit of a corner. I pray you just help me this corner. Lord said unto Adam, we're going to go back to the beginning. He says, where art thou? And he said, I heard the voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. We're talking excuses. And he said, well, who told thee that thou was naked? 
Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest. Woman whom thou gavest. He's speaking to God. And he's making an excuse and actually putting blame. But you gave me the woman and she gave me the tree and I did eat. The Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Beguiled. We know that he's subtle. He was a subtle and he, and he, and he, he deceived her in, 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 uh, in a way and he beguiled her into it in moments where she could say, I really didn't even know what I was doing. He beguiled me. It's his fault. Deal with him. And the Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed. Above all cattle, above all the beasts of the field, upon thy belly thou shalt go, and the dust thou shalt eat. You know, he didn't even ask him. He didn't say, now why did you? No, he just said, because he did this. Didn't even give him the time of day to speak. God, here I can hear them going down to the Garden of Eden. He says, and I can hear him going down through the garden. Something like this, clap, clap. We've read the quote. He says, what is his bloody skin slapping on his leg? And I can see all that great spaceless eternity come forming down like a funnel, like a four little letters of L-O-V-E. And he loved his children so much till he couldn't turn them away. And he says, stop! I'll put enmity between thy seed. Oh, I love how Brother Bradham dramatizes that. We can just read through the scripture and we can read through, but he curses the serpent and he listens to their excuses, curses the serpent. And it's like all, oh, it's just, everything's in chaos right there at the moment. He's here, God is in all this great eternity and it just funnels down into four little L-O-V-E and he loved his children so much. He said, stop, I'll put enmity between thee and the serpent seed. Thy seed and the serpent seed. He said, promising a redeemer. Amen. And I'll, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Oh, I'm so glad there was that extra scripture. It didn't end right there. He says, no, 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 no. I'm going to take care of something here. And he says, stop. And he places a promise and a prophecy. And I want to just talk about that here. Now, their excuses didn't stand anything. Eve, Adam, Eve, it didn't matter. The penalty was, you transgress, you die. And the blame didn't really matter. You could pass the blame. But Abraham says, they tried. Well, the woman you gave me. The servant beguiled me. He was the one that had the affair. He did this. He said, they went right on to judgment just the same. And now the blame, they tried to pass the blame on. And here, God is saying, no, no, no. He said, stop. And he gives a scripture. And he says, no, no. I got to do something. And here, God, I was reading just about this. And, he's, and here, if you read in Leviticus, they had, this is what they had, uh, they had to put a, they had two goats, two kid goats. And they had to do a, a, um, a ceremony. And they, they sacrificed one, and one was a scapegoat. This is where the scapegoat come, is in the scripture. And it says, and he shall take two goats, present them before the Lord of the door, and Aaron will cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord, one for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon the Lord, at which the Lord's lot fell, and offer him for a sin offering. And but the goat on which the lot fell to be a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord and make an atonement, and let him go for a scapegoat. And what he did, Aaron would take that goat that was chosen as a scapegoat, and he would take both his hands upon the head of the live goat, 
And he'd confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. I'm reading scripture. Putting them upon the head of the goat and send him away by the hand of a fit man in the wilderness. And that goat shall bear upon him all the iniquities, all the sin, unto a land not inhabited. And he shall go, let the goat go in the wilderness. But Abraham says his soul was cast in hell, speaking to Jesus, because he was a castaway. He was the scapegoat of the Old Testament who put their sins upon the people, upon the scapegoat and turned them out into the wilderness to die. Jesus was the scapegoat who had the sins of the people upon him and was cast away and went into hell to suffer tortures. And his body went in the great grave to pay the price. And I was just pondering that. I said, oh, Lord, because I was thinking of the blame. Here, Adam and Eve were trying to put some blame and trying to make an excuse for what they did. And they were, there was no excuse. They, it, didn't, it wasn't valid. Here, God was, oh, oh, no, no, stop. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make a way for this. Before the foundation of the world, this was already on his mind. And he goes, and I just imagine here in Israel... Someone, if this, they had done this and they let this goat, the scapegoat, go into the, into the wilderness here. And someone would say, well, uh, you know, bring up some issue or some circumstance or something they did. And well, you know, uh, I didn't know if I did that. And someone maybe is bringing up some excuse of why they did or didn't do something. But he said, wait a second. No, 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 no. That was laid on the goat. That was, that was, that was, that, those iniquities were laid on the goat. Uh, that's what Aaron did. He laid his hands and confessed all the iniquities of the children of Israel. And that person can say, no, 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 that's in the wilderness. That was put on, that was put on the scapegoat. I don't need an excuse because it's already, it's, he took that. He, he put, it's on the goat. It's the goat's problem. He could say that. He could say that. And I just thought, my, my, when you come to Jesus Christ, when you come to Jesus Christ, you can, Satan can throw on, what about this? What about that? And you're like, oh, well, I, you know, I, but I wasn't to, I didn't mean to do that, but it was this issue. No, 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 you don't need, you don't need an excuse. You don't need to worry about it. There's no need to cast blame on nothing because Jesus Christ was our scapegoat. Oh my goodness. I just said, oh Lord, I can just imagine, imagine that feeling of being able to say, no, 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 he took my sin. Oh my goodness, I'm just, I just want to speak in that just a little bit because I can imagine. I had this happen in my notes here. Look, I'm going to skip ahead. Here's the bleeding lamb, and I can just imagine. And he's getting whipped, and he's getting smacked, and he's getting beaten, and he's getting, and here's the bleeding lamb. Here's the bleeding lamb, and you know what he didn't do? He's the only one that could say it, and he could get the weight you know, whip him on the back, and it's just tearing his skin. And he can say, oh, it's not my fault. It's Michael's fault. He's the only one that could say that because he was the innocent lamb of God. And he could sit there and he took, he could take the, and he could have screamed out, no, it's not, it's Orange's fault. Why am I taking this pain? But he didn't do that, Orange. He didn't do that. He took it all. He took it all. Because the Satan can come and say, what about that? So, no, 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 I am blameless. I am spotless. He took it. The scapegoat took it. Go deal with him. He can't because he conquered death and hell in the grave, stripped him of his keys, and rose into heaven. Satan don't have even the opportunity, and he couldn't even if he tried. Amen. That's the scapegoat. That's why you need to come. That's why you need to be bidden. That's why you need to say, yes. I'm running to through the way. I'm running to Jesus Christ. Because if you cannot point to the scapegoat, oh God, your excuses won't matter and you will stand speechless.
because you'll have nothing to say. I want to be able to say, look to the Lamb of God who bore my sin, who bore my shame. That's why the scriptures say, who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? You can't. Satan can't because he took your blame and you don't have any. That's why you're blameless. And you don't need an excuse because he's had a old lamb who took your sin and your shame. Hallelujah. Musicians, you can come. I'm so thankful he didn't say it's Michael's sin. He should be the one bearing this. He should be hanging on this cross right now. Why am I taking his, his why? No, no, no. He took it for me because he loved me. He took it for you because he loved you. And there's now, now, there's therefore, now, this moment, this moment, no condemnation. You have no guilt, no shame, no excuses why you need to only have some something on your conscience because he took it all and he surrendered it down to him. Amen. There'll be one person, there'll be one person one day will be rendered speechless. I read the scripture, the serpent, he didn't even get any time and he didn't get, he didn't get the time of day to even say nothing. And I just kind of chuckled and said, no, and he didn't, he was cursed. So he couldn't even talk anymore. Nothing. God took it away. He couldn't even, there's, down the rest through history, he couldn't even say nothing else. He could never account to ever talk about the time. He could never bring it before Eve. Nothing. God said he didn't even give him time today to say anything and cursed him to the ground and, and took, just completely changed him. And it's nothing to say. I just thought, Lord, my. Adam and Eve probably had enough time in their minds. Oh, what do we do? To have, to have that still being able to, to confront them with their problem. Or what happened in the garden. But God said, no, I rendered him to nothing. But you know, Satan, he took that role real well. His accuser of the brethren. And the scripture says, day and night, he's still trying to cast. Well, look at that. They're doing this. Look at that. They're doing that. Look at this. They're doing that. He's still trying day and night before the Lord. That's what he's trying to do. Scripture says in Revelations, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down. <laughs> Which accused them before our Lord God, before our God, day and night. He tried. He tried. I don't know why he didn't get the fact that someone that has put their hands on the sacrifice said, I'm sorry, but my sins were laid upon the scapegoat. And I don't have any excuse to give you because it's all on Jesus. He took it all for me. I don't know what you're saying, devil, because you're trying to bring stuff up from God. God saying, I don't, I don't hear it either because it can't penetrate through the blood. He just, he must be standing there day and night and it just must be mute. It just must be silence. And he looks like he's speaking all the time. But God's like, I don't know what you're saying. Hey, what a waste of his time. But he's trying constantly, constantly, constantly. And he, I want you to recognize that that's the same. He might do that to you. But you need to realize, just do it like God is doing in heaven. I, I, sorry, I can't hear you. Because it can't penetrate the bloodline. It can't get through the stream of blood from Calvary. He, he finished it. It's over. He's a mute. May he be mute to you. He's mute because you are blameless. You are blameless. And one day, one day, 
one day he will be rendered speechless. And he'll have nothing more to say. He'll be cast in a lake of fire. And because the scripture after that, the scripture after that says because they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And that's how you overcome him. And that's how you render him speechless. And there's no valid excuse. You stand there free. Free. Amen. Amen. I just pray that you are here tonight. And I pray maybe God has allowed just the fog to clear. And you can get real honest. And say, yeah, you know what? I've put some excuses out there. And they are. I want you to look at them real hard and say. Because I'm going to tell you again. There's no valid excuse. And by the grace of God, I pray that you can set it there and say, Lord, that's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. May I be a Gideon tonight. And may I be able to take you at your word. Lord, that's come across the pulpit tonight in some broken up way. And maybe just have been able to shine a little bit of light. It's in my life. I have raised up some excuses. And I need to be able, I need to be able to say, no, no, no. My hands placed him on the, on the goat, on the scapegoat, on my Jesus. I need you to, you need to place your hands there tonight and say, Lord Jesus, take all, all the blame from me. That's what you need to do tonight. It's your opportunity to do that tonight. And I can tell you, you will not regret it. You will not regret it. Like I said, no one ever has ever said it was, I did it too early. No. They've always said, Lord, why didn't I come to you sooner? Why didn't I come to you sooner? You could have saved me so many, so many hurts and pains. Because if I just came to you, I'd say, listen to the call tonight. Listen to the call tonight. Let's just sing why not. I've sang this just a little bit in my, in my mind there. Why do you wait, dear brother? Why do you tarry so long? I just ask the question, why not? Why not? Why not just come to him now? Why, why, what's, what's the reason? What's the reason? Some habit? Some, some sport passion? Like, what is it? Because I need to go see some land? Because that's, that's the level. I said, oh, why not? Why not? You sit in your little room and said, Lord... There's actually no reason. And so why not? I'm going to say yes. Yes, I'll come to you now. Let's just sing that together now. Let's sing that verse, the first verse there. Oh, now why do you wait, dear brother? Oh, and why you tarry so
come to him now. Let's go verse 4. Oh, and why do you wait, dear brothers? Oh, the harvest is passing this way. Longing to bless you. Oh, there's danger and death in delay. Oh, now I know. Oh, I know. Oh, not come to him now. feel so maybe disconnected in some way but there is no barriers with the Lord Jesus daddies are your home if you sense that there's someone in your home the Lord is dealing with you be them you be the head of that home you recognize if there's the spirits moving in the atmospheres you just take control of that little home you just you just follow the leading of the Lord. You just put your arm around maybe your son or a daughter. Maybe it's someone. Maybe you're alone in your room. And it's just you and God. He said, Lord, yes. My excuse has been weighed in the balance. And it's found wanting. And I'm laying it down right now, Lord. Tonight. I need to surrender. You know, I've talked to some that have just struggled. Maybe they've gone up and down, up and down. You know, the question... I just want to ask yourself, say, but did you really, really surrender? Or did you hold just one little thing? No, Gideon had to go and he tore down everything. The groves, the idols, everything. And don't hold nothing back with him tonight. He said, Lord, there's nothing there. I'm not putting no excuse. I'm not blaming nothing for nothing. The situation and circumstance, I don't care what it is. Tonight... I'm going to answer. Why not? I'm coming to you tonight, Lord. Heavenly Father. Lord, my heart burdened for your people. And I pray, Lord, maybe your word, Lord, I pray it was, Lord, spoken. You can take it now. Just you're humble. I'm just, a, Lord, I'd feel lowest of servants, Lord. But Lord, if you so choose, chose me, Lord, you chose Gideon. Lord, and he felt pretty weak. He was hidden in a little wine press, but Lord, he was a mighty man of valor. Lord, tonight, may Lord, you, there be those, Lord, maybe they, may they recognize, Lord, you're speaking to them. And Lord, they need to rise up and stand on your word, for Lord, they don't need to be standing in their little wine press any longer. Because God, Lord, has anointed them tonight to stand and take and claim what God has given them. Lord, may they shed excuses tonight. May the lives be changed tonight, Lord. May the miracle of a transformed life 
Lord, begin tonight. I pray, Lord, that you take these this little service. Words that were spoken now. And Lord, you now water it. And your spirit, Lord, would just move and brood and hover. May, may they not just click off. That was a good service. We had a wonderful time. But Lord, somebody that has been pricked, Lord. May, Lord, that fog, as we said, clear and they could just come to you tonight and say, Lord, I'm coming to you now. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen, Lord. Amen. 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 If you need prayer, you're in a room. You ask your mommy or your daddy. Yeah, I need that one. Lord, I need prayer. You need prayer? This church is open. You can come here. We'll pray with you. You come and spend. You want to come to an altar? You come to sanctuary? You come to sanctuary. But it doesn't need to be here. You can kneel in your chair. You can kneel in your little home. I don't really care where it is. Just meet God. Just meet the Lord. Mind Him tonight. Mind Him tonight. Amen. Maybe just before we dismiss, and we just ling- just let the Lord linger. I'm not going to dismiss per se, but I just want to sing, He came to me. He came to me. The gulf that separated me from Christ my Lord. It was so vast, the crossing I could never afford. Oh, from where I was. In his to his domain, it seems so far. I cried, dear Lord, I cannot come to where you are. But he came to me. May he come to you tonight, Lord. Come. He came to me, oh, when I could not come to where he was, he came to me, oh, I love this song, oh, and that's why he died.
Thank you.